Good morning. As we come near the end of this summer series, we've still got one or two weeks left, but as we come near the end of this summer series, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The good news is, college football starts next week. Yeah, that's the good news. Now the bad news is, that means Christmas is not that far behind. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I like Christmas. I like nearly everything about Christmas. I just don't like shopping for Christmas. Can I get an amen? Although Lisa does most of that, one of the things that makes shopping so frustrating for us is the fact that we try really hard to spend the same amount on each kid and to buy each kid the same number of gifts. Anybody else do that? And you know what makes it even worse? At least when they were growing up, we had one kid that would count the gifts under the tree. And I'm not sure that she wasn't counting them in her mind once they were opened, counting how much each one cost. I'm not going to tell you who that is, but it wasn't Jonathan, nor was it Kelly. <laughs> um, and then, I don't know about your house, but this, this is how we do it at our house, and we do it every single Christmas. It's the speech. The speech is after everybody gets their ex, everybody got all their gifts, and they're all piled up. Now, before we open them, and I do the speech, before we open them, uh, and the speech is not, you know, God's been good to us, and let's remember what Christmas is all about. The speech is this. I just want to remind you, it may look like one of the kids got more than the other, <laughs> but I just want to remind you, you both got the same amount, you all got the same amount of gifts, and we spent the same amount of money, it's just that your mom got some good sales on some stuff, so that's why it might look like you got a little bit more, or they got a little bit more, but we spent the same amount of money, and you know, the kids now, they're adults, we get it dad, I understand, you know, it's hard being a parent, isn't it? It's hard being fair. So the question is, how does God do it? His family's pretty big. How does God do it? How, how is God fair with everybody? And maybe He doesn't. Maybe He isn't. At least not the way we think about fairness. You know, all you've got to do is really look at the people that you know and the people that are around you, the people maybe in your own family, and you suddenly realize that life is not the same for everybody. Right? Some couples have three or four kids and some couples can't have kids. Or maybe your brother just bought a brand new car and your 15-year-old car sits in the shop a lot. Or you've got some people, there are some people who have children that are very gifted athletes or very gifted musicians while others have children that are wrestling with a handicap of some type. Some families struggle to pay the bills while other families are going on multiple vacations throughout the year. Some parents have perfectly healthy kids and others have a child that's fighting a deadly disease. I mean, let's just be honest. Life is not the same for everybody. Some of you have had cancer while others have been cancer-free. Life's not always easy, and it's not always equal. I love the story in John 21. This is not our text, but I love the story in John 21, uh, where in verse 19, Jesus says to Peter, at the end of that gospel story, Jesus says something to Peter and explains to him 
what the end of his life is going to be like. And verse 19 says, Jesus said this to Peter to indicate to him the kind of death he would die. The very next verse says that Peter looked at the disciple that Jesus loved. And, and Peter said, and I quote, Lord, what about him? Well, what's going to happen to him? Peter didn't say, well, you all pray for me. Or, he wasn't spiritual. You know what Peter was wondering? That's not fair. What about him? What about that disciple that you love? You see, life's not always easy and life is not always equal. And sometimes we just want to say, that's not fair. And there's a story that Jesus once told about that very thing. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20. Would you open the Bible to Matthew chapter 20? As you're turning to that, let me explain something to you that's very important The story that we're going to read, which begins in Matthew chapter 20, is part of a conversation that began in Matthew chapter 19. You need to make sure you file that away. That this really is part of an ongoing conversation. We're picking up the conversation in chapter 20, but it's part of an ongoing conversation. In fact, let's see how it all began. If we go back to chapter 19, verse 16. Now, men came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do? To get eternal life. And they have this conversation about what he must do. And Jesus responds to him this way in verse 21. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And of course, you know that famous verse, verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. There was something in this young man, he went away sad because the stuff of the world was very important to him. In fact, the stuff of the world was so important to him that he gave up the treasures of heaven in order to hang on to his earthly treasures. Maybe, we don't know this for sure, the text doesn't say, maybe he walked away from Jesus because that just didn't seem fair. I mean, after all, he had earned all that he had, or at least he had inherited all that he had. It just didn't seem fair for him to sell it all and to give it away to the poor. And so he walked away from Jesus. And as the disciples saw all of this unfold, Peter watches this and his mind is just cranking. His mind is going. And Peter's trying to to understand what he sees unfold. And it says in verse 27, Peter answered him, We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Interesting question, isn't it? Peter said, you know, you just told that guy that he had to sell everything and give it away, and we've done that. We've left everything. So so let me ask you a question. what's, What's in it for us? What are we going to get out of this? Jesus told Peter and all the disciples something very interesting. He said, Peter, you will be rewarded, and you will be rewarded greatly. Look at the next verse, verse 28. Jesus said to them, not just to Peter, but to all the apostles, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me, parentheses, you who have followed Me from the beginning. The original apostles. That's what He was saying. You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now look up here for a minute. If Jesus said to you one day, because, <coughs> excuse me, 
One day, because of the way you've lived your life. One day, because you surrendered everything to follow me. One day, here's what's going to happen. You're going to sit on a throne in heaven and you're going to judge one of the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you think that might be kind of a boost to your ego? You think that might kind of get your attention? But it's not just that. Jesus went on to say, and everyone, verse 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. He said, in addition to sitting on the thrones and judging the twelve tribes of Israel, if you have left everything to follow me, I'm going to reward you a hundred times over of what you've left. Now, I don't know exactly what happened in that moment. The Bible doesn't tell us, but maybe it was the look on Peter's face. Maybe it was the disciples were high-fiving each other. I don't know what it was, but Jesus then felt compelled to give one more point. One more piece of information that was kind of a clarifying principle. He gave them this this clarifying principle in the very next verse, verse 30. But, many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. Yes, you will be rewarded and you will be rewarded greatly. But, 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 but. Here's a principle. Remember this. I want you to remember this today. We're going to come back to it again and again. Here's the principle. Many who are first, that is who started following me first, will be last. And many who are last will be first. Now what does that even mean? Well, that's why we have this parable in chapter 20. You see, in your Bible, it says chapter 20 after that verse, but there really wasn't a pause between what Jesus said in chapter 19, verse 30, and what He said in chapter 20, verse 1. There was no pause at all. It's part of the same conversation. Yes, you'll be rewarded, uh, and here's how you'll be rewarded, but here's a principle I want you to remember. Many who will be last, uh, many who will be first are last, and many who are last will be first. And so then Jesus gives them a parable to explain the principle He just gave them. I just need to make sure you hear that. Jesus gives them a parable in chapter 20 to explain the principle He gave them at the end of chapter 19. So let's read the parable. And let's see what He says. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now let's pause there for a moment. It says he went out very early in the morning. In the Jewish system in those days, the Jewish work day was from 6 in the morning, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. It was a 12-hour work day. So this guy goes out before 6 o'clock likely, and he goes out looking for day laborers. Guys that are standing around who don't have a job, who need a job, who need something to do. And he gets a group of guys to come to his vineyard to work the day in his vineyard. And the agreement is, if you'll come work in my vineyard for 12 hours from 6 in the morning until 6 at night, I'll give you a denarius. Now the coin that I have in my hand is not a denarius, though it did come from Israel. This is a shekel. It's actually a half shekel. But, but let's say that it represents that denarius. So here's the agreement. If you'll come to my house or to my vineyard, I'll give you a denarius for working in my vineyard today. And a denarius was a, 
a common laborer's daily wage. That was a that was the common way. In fact, last week we talked about the Roman soldier. They got a denarius for their daily wage. So that was the going rate. You come work from 12 hours, I'll give you a denarius. <clears throat> the common daily wage of that day. So, we pick up the story in verse 3 and see what happens. <clears throat> about the third hour, that is 9 o'clock in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing, and he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again, the sixth hour, which would have been noon, and the ninth hour, which would have been 3 p.m., and he did the same thing. Now look what happens. About the eleventh hour, if you're tracking with me, what would the eleventh hour be? What time? Five, about 5 p.m., he went out and he found others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said, you also go and work in my vineyard. Now, verse 8 is one of the key verses. This is kind of the pivot point in the story. Verse 8, when evening came, <clears throat> the owner of the vineyard said to, to the foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages. But now watch how he says to do this. Beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Do you remember the principle in chapter 19, verse 30? Uh, many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. This principle is being illustrated in this parable. The owner said, I want you to call in all the workers. It's the end of the day. It's 6 p.m. Call in all the workers and let's pay them. But here's how I want you to do it. The guys that we hired last, I want you to pay them first. And the guys that we hired first, I want you to pay them last. So here's how it unfolded. They did that. And the guys that were hired at 5 o'clock, who worked one hour, when they got up in line and they put out their hand, the foreman gave them a denarius. One day's wage for working one hour. Don't you know they had a smile on their face? That's probably the only time that ever happened in their life. I mean, they got one day's wage for working one hour. They were extremely excited about that. And I'll tell you somebody else that was extremely excited. It was the guys in the back of the line who were hired first. Because they were calculating and celebrating in their mind now wait a minute, if they got a denarius for one hour and we're working, we work 12 hours, guess how many coins they're going to put in our hand? And they had never in their life probably ever had more than one coin in their hand at a time as they went home after a day's work. They always had gotten a denarius, but now they're anticipating that, that they're going to have 12 coins placed in their hand and they're going to go home with a handful of coins. To t I mean, they're probably going home thinking, man, we're going to Chick-fil-A tonight. We might even buy all the kids a, a peach milkshake, you know? Because we're going to have 12 denarius put in our hands. And when they got up to the line, the foreman, look up here, the foreman took that denarius and he put it in his hand. And, and that guy was just standing there looking. Come on. Come on. Come on. And then the foreman says, Is there a problem? Yeah, there's a problem, all right. 
uh, where, where's the other 11? The other 11 what? The other 11 coins. If you gave those guys who worked one hour a denarius, I, I'm assuming you're going to give us 12 of them. Because we work 12 hours. Read the story and see how it unfolds. <clears throat> Verse 10. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. You've made them equal to us. That's an important statement there. Verse 13, But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go home. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am what, church? What's that last? I am generous. And then in verse 16, we see this principle listed again. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, we'll, we'll come back to that principle, but let me just remind you that when this story was first communicated, it was told. That is, when the disciples first encountered this story, they heard it rather than read it. And the response that most people would have had at hearing this story would have been, whoa, whoa, whoa that's not fair. And the reason we say that's not fair is because our minds naturally focus on the guys who worked all day. And it really is not fair if I've worked all day long and, and the other guy only worked one hour, we get the same pay? That's not fair. But just for a minute, let's try to put our, ourselves in the shoes of the guy who only worked one hour and yet he was paid the same amount. He only worked one hour and yet he got the exact same amount as the guy who worked all day long. And the response to the story really should be, rather than, whoa, that's not fair, the response to the story really should be, Wow, that's grace. That guy only worked one hour. And he got exactly the same thing as the guy who worked all day long. Wow, that's grace. You see, ladies and gentlemen, this is not a story about fairness. It is a story about God's generosity. And let me tell you about God's generosity. God is richly blessing anybody who comes to Him. He richly blesses all of us equally when we come to Him in faith. Romans 2, verse 11. If you're taking notes, you might not want to write that down. Romans 2, verse 11 says this, For God does not show favoritism. That is, God in His grace richly gives us salvation equally. You see, the kingdom of heaven, in some ways, is not fair the way that we would think of fairness. And here's, here's why I say that. What's fair about a guy who works 12 hours and gets something, 
and the guy who works one hour and gets the same thing. What's fair about that? But the reason for the story is to say, God equally blesses us all. God is generous to us all. He offers us all the same deal. That's the whole point. Let me tell you something. Grace is not intended to be fair. Now maybe the best way to help you understand this is to to show you this in the life of the guy who started this whole conversation. Peter, of course, is the guy who started this conversation. I love Peter. Don't you love Peter? He's so much like us. Remember how the conversation started? Peter said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Lord, we've left everything, I mean like everything, to follow you. So what's going to be in this for us? That's why I started this whole conversation. Now, can I remind you a little bit about Peter? He was indeed one of the first followers of Christ. One of the original first to follow Jesus. He left everything, literally. He left his family. He left his business. He left his hometown. He left his friends. He left everything to follow Jesus. And he followed Jesus for three years, learning everything he could learn. And after Jesus went back to heaven, Peter actually became, according to the book of Acts, he became one of the leaders in the New Testament church. It was Peter who preached at Pentecost. It was Peter that God gave special power to him. He could perform miracles like healing a crippled man in the name of Jesus. Peter was arrested Multiple times for faithfully preaching the gospel. At least one time Peter was flogged while in prison simply because he preached the gospel. And years later, Peter died as a martyr. He was actually, his his, uh, tradition says, he was actually crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus. If I could summarize Peter's life this way, this is the way I would summarize it. Once Peter met Jesus, he literally left everything and gave his life for the kingdom of God. Once he met Christ, he gave his life to the kingdom of God. Now, that's Peter. There's another man mentioned in the New Testament who was somewhat famous, and yet we don't know his name. But we do know a little bit about him. The Bible calls him simply a criminal. Though we don't know the background, we don't know the details, we know that his crimes were to such a degree that he was to be crucified, executed, for his crimes. And from his own testimony, he was guilty. He knew he deserved execution for his crimes. You likely know the story that there were two criminals crucified beside Jesus, one on each side. One of those criminals mocked Jesus and ridiculed Him, as did the crowd. But the other criminal, he began to defend Jesus. And there was something about Jesus. He began to watch and to listen. And and before he died, before the criminal took his last breath, he said to Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And then Jesus, in His final hours, said to the criminal, Today, you're going to be where I am. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now now think about this. Jesus granted the 11th hour convert the same eternal home as the Apostle Peter who had dedicated his life to Christ. One man was executed for his righteousness, Peter. 
The other man was executed for his crimes. And yet they both were granted equal access into the kingdom of God. That's not fair. I know. That's grace. That's what grace is. Grace is the way God expresses His love towards us. And whether you come to Him late in life or you come to Him as I did as an 11-year-old, He offers you the exact same thing. I was thinking this week, uh, as I was thinking about this story, I, and I don't mean this in a bragging way by any stretch of the imagination, but, but I was thinking, you know what, I, I've known the Lord my entire life. Before I was saved when I was 11, but before I was saved, I knew about Jesus my entire life. I went to church before I was ever born. And once I was born, I went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. I have always, my entire life, I have always... Just been connected to the church and, and since age 11 I've had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And at the age of 17 I surrendered to full-time gospel ministry. I've dedicated my life to the, thing, to the kingdom of God. This week we had uh, an exterminator come spraying in our house and I began to talk to him a little bit about the Lord. And as I talked to him about the Lord I, I found out that he was a Christian and had been a Christian for a while, but then he told me about a buddy of his. He said, would you pray for so-and-so? He gave me his name. And he told me the bad situation that he was in, and, and he said, his life is spiraling downward very quickly. And I thought about him. He said, would you pray for, and he gave me his name again, said, pray that he gets saved sometime soon. And I thought about him, this guy, and I thought about me, This guy whose life is spiraling out of control and had spent all of his life so far living apart from God. And this guy who had, since the day he was born has been in church. And God in His goodness and God in His grace will offer this guy the same thing He offered this guy. That is grace. And there's nothing fair about it nor is it intended to be fair. Now, before we leave this, would you agree God is generous to us all? I want to tell you something. Listen to me. Everybody is invited. Everybody gets in the same way through Jesus Christ. Everybody can meet the requirement faith in Jesus. God is generous to us all. So, so whether you come to Him at, at the first, like Peter, and you spend your life dedicated to Him, or you come in at last, like the criminal on the cross, in the eleventh hour, regardless of when you come to Him, He is generous to us all. He equally is generous to us all. We all get the same deal. Everybody is invited. Everybody gets in the same way. And everybody can meet the requirement. Now before I leave though, there's one danger in this story, isn't there? And you know what the danger is. The danger in the story is that people hear this story and they say, great, I'm going to live the life I want to live and when I'm old and about to die, I'm going to put my faith in Christ. 
In my 11th hour, I'm going to come to faith in Christ. I'm glad I came today because I'm going to live it up now. I'm not going to worry about anything because now I know God's a generous God. And when I get to my 11th hour, buddy, I'm coming to church and I'm going to take that preacher by the hand and I'm going to make things right in my 11th hour. Two things I'll say to you. First one is this. Who promised you that? Who promised you that you're going to be able to do anything in your 11th hour? Who promised you that you're going to be alive tomorrow? You don't know what's going to happen as you go home from church today. Much less what's going to happen in your 11th hour. You don't know when you're going to die, much less how you're going to die or if you have the opportunity. You don't, nobody's promised you that, nor can they. In fact, here's what the Bible says. James 4.14 says, You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Uh, Who's promised you tomorrow? James says, your life is like a vapor that that appears for a little while and then it just vanishes. Now, here in a couple of months, it's going to start getting cold again. Remember cold weather? Now, now, the Alonzos, they've been in Florida. They don't understand what they're about to experience, right? Right? But, but here's what happens. I don't know, maybe December, they're going to be outside and they're going to breathe and all of a sudden they're going to be able to see their breath. I doubt you can see your breath in Florida. I don't know. <laughs> but, but when it gets really, really cold in South Carolina, you can breathe and you can see your breath. But watch this. And then it's gone. And James says, and that's a picture of life, like a vapor. He says, you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Your life's like a vapor, and then it's gone. So if you're thinking about, in my 11th hour, I'm going to live it up, and in my 11th hour, I come to faith in Christ. I just want you to remember this, that life is short, and you really have no idea when that last day comes. So why? Why would you want to turn away from God now when He is ready to be so generous to you? Why would you walk away from that? When He so generously wants to give you forgiveness and a, and a relationship with Him and an eternal home in heaven, why would you want to say, no, I think I'll wait until late in life? Second thing that I'd say to you is this, and please hear this one, it's so important. The danger of putting God off now is that it hardens your heart to His invitation later. Hey folks, I've seen this over and over and over. Psalm 95 verse 8 says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear His voice, it's the day you need to respond. Because when you don't respond, you're hardening your heart a little bit more day by day. If you, if you say no to God now, it's easier to say no to God again tomorrow or next week or next week. Hebrews 3.12 says, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You see, the danger of saying that I will come to God at the 11th hour is that even though you might still be living when you're an old man or an old lady, you might still be living, it very likely will mean your heart has gotten so hard you have no need of God. Your heart has gotten so hard that you are dead towards God. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor and now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. So Jesus told a story. 
all these people went to work. At the end of the day, the owner graciously gave them all the same thing. Equally gave them all the same blessing. Life's not equal. They worked differently. Different hours. Life's not equal. The, the blessings of God are equal. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I want you to pray with me right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you to listen to this verse. Second, uh, or, or Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one will boast. Those two words, grace and faith, are very, very important words. For by grace are you saved. Grace is God in His favor reaching down to you to offer you what you do not deserve. God in His grace reaches down to all of us to offer us all the same deal. Whether we're coming to Christ as a young man or we're coming to Christ as an old man, God in His grace reaches down to us to offer us all graciously, generously the same opportunity. Same invitation. For by grace are you saved through faith. Faith is our reaching up to God to receive what He wants to give us. God reaches down through grace and through faith we reach up to God to receive what He wants to give us. Have you ever done that? Have you ever put your faith in Christ? Have you ever received what He wants to give you? The Bible calls that salvation. God wants to be generous to you today. Generous in such a way that every sin you've ever committed will be forgiven. Generous in such a way that He'll come to live in your life. Generous in such a way that He'll give you an eternal home in heaven. For by grace, through faith, God is generous. Thank you, Lord, for this day and for this opportunity. And I pray for someone who doesn't know your Savior that this might be the day they say yes to Jesus. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.